Welcome to Career Revisionist with Dr. Grace Lee, dedicated to doers, dreamers, and realists who want more success and satisfaction in their life. This podcast is about answering one question. How can you build a fulfilling career where it's all about doing work you love and growing your income without sacrificing your values? And now your host, she likes dining out almost as much as she loves her podcast, Dr. Grace Lee. Hello, hello. It's Grace again for another episode of Career Revisionist. Thank you for being here. Today, I have another special guest, and her name is Bev, Bev Atfield. Her and I met through an introduction from her colleague, Dustin. Now, the two of them run a podcast, and I was a guest on their podcast, and it's called the People at Work Podcast. So you haven't checked that out yet. I invite you to check that out. Lots of value there. So Bev, Dustin, and I were from the same city in Vancouver, Canada, and we met each other in their workplace in downtown Vancouver, and they had me on their podcast I recorded it right there in their studio and then Bev came onto my podcast so she's a guest on she's our special guest for today and Bev is interesting I mean she has an awesome job title she's the principal of workplace science at the Jossel Corporation. And she really cares about the experience people have at work and the role that leaders play in crafting these engaging environments, work environments. And she's curious about what creates a unique workplace culture and what creates conditions for people to really thrive at work. And so we had this discussion, and that's in today's episode, we would love to share with you our discussion on what does it take to create these workplace cultures where employees are thriving, where they feel engaged, where they feel like they're making a meaningful contribution. So we talk about that, and we talk about much more as well. She shares with us a little bit about her insights in doing that kind of work, and we talk about what the future holds. What does the future hold for work? What is the future of work? What, how is that evolving given the the economic times of today. So thank you for listening. I invite you in our conversation and we're just going to dive right in. Hey, Bev. It's so awesome to be chatting with you. And you as well. It's, uh, I wish we could be doing this in person, but this is the next best thing. (laughs) I know, right? Otherwise we'd be at a local coffee shop because you and I are in the same city. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So we chatted recently, you know, I met you and your colleagues downtown before this, before the quarantine, the self quarantine started happening. And I had a great conversation with him and he introduces me to you. And of course we meet on zoom and I'm like, I got to talk to this woman. I have to have her on my podcast. She's fantastic. She's got such an interesting history, a very interesting role right now and a message you want to put out in this world. So thank you so much for being on my podcast and being a part of this conversation. Oh, it's my pleasure. And thanks very much for the opportunity to continue our conversation that we started earlier and just to get to know each other a little bit better. This um, you know, conversation is really a big part of what we're all using right now, I think, to cope and to just reconnect with what's meaningful at the moment. And so I'm very grateful for this opportunity and this time together. So thank you. Awesome. It's such an honor. I mean, I mean, I love your voice and we talked about that a little bit. So let's tell, so I have some viewers on YouTube, some listeners on the podcast as well. Tell us who is Bev? You know, where, where, where are you from? We're all curious. What's that accent? You know? <laughs> so tell us, you know, give us the 10,000 foot view of your, of your journey to come to Vancouver and to be in your role today. Oh, thank you. So I uh, I was born in Southern Africa. So I was born in Zimbabwe or Rhodesia at the time. Um, that was or 
45 years ago. Um, and I grew up in South Africa. So my parents moved to South Africa when I was just a little person. Um, so I spent most of my, my life um, in my formative years in South Africa. Um, I had the opportunity to travel to England where I was planning to settle um, because I'm also a British um, citizen. So I had big plans to settle in, in England and explore Europe. Um, I met a boy uh, before I left South Africa and, you know, that boy invited me to come and visit him in Vancouver as he was moving to Vancouver. So um, I, of course, followed the boy who I'm now married to and uh, have been for many, many years. And uh, Vancouver is our home. Uh, we're Canadians and have been proud Canadians for a number of years now and just have made our life here and and have really enjoyed so much of what Vancouver and Canada has to offer and so grateful for the opportunity that we've had as immigrants to arrive here and make a, a new life for ourselves. Mm. Um, and really, that was at the beginning of, uh, you know, my career had really just started. Um, and I had always had an interest in um, the professional services side of things. So um, services business and, and, and things that actually allowed you to be of service to others. So um, my prior work had been in things like hospitality and tourism. And when I arrived in Vancouver, um, I continued on by working for a architecture and engineering construction firm here in Vancouver in a marketing capacity, because that was my other interest was, was marketing and communications. So I was very fortunate. I joined a company that became my my extended family here in Vancouver, and I grew my career. I was with them for almost 15 years wow. and uh, formed many wonderful friendships and had the opportunity to really grow. In Even though I stayed with one company for 15 years, I had the opportunity to grow with the company as it grew, and I grew into different kinds of roles. And um, that's one of the, the great things about being part of a, a small company that's growing is you can dabble in different things and explore different things and be exposed to lots of things by wearing lots of different hats. And so even though I was uh, predominantly in marketing, I started to have an interest in the intersection of the inside of a business and the outside of a business and what that means for um, the people side of, of a brand and how that's expressed inside and outside the business. Um, and how do you actually build a culture within an organization that is firmly rooted in what your brand values are and your brand character is? So I found myself before long, um, I had actually transitioned out of being a marketer and into this people space, which um, really brought those two worlds wonderfully together, um, which led me to where I am today, um, which is a company called Jostle. And Jostle is the creator of an employee intranet. So we are a tech company. We're based here in Vancouver. And we're basically building a platform that helps employees uh, feel less overwhelmed at work every day so that they can find what they need find that person that they bumped into in the hallway, do the work that they need to do productively and be plugged into the culture and the leadership and everything else that they need to, to do meaningful work during their day. And it was interesting. I, I actually, um, when I was working for the, the the company that I was with for 15 years, I actually uh, purchased and deployed Jostle into that business um, through a brand restructuring project that I was doing. And I needed a way for... Um, our new brand values to take root and to be exp expanded within the organization. So Jostle was the perfect platform for that. And um, so I got to know the folks at Jostle. And um, as serendipity would have it, when I was uh, next looking for my uh, my next opportunity, Jostle was in need of... 
sorry, that's my Alexa. <laughs> I hope you can crop that out. <laughs> Not necessary. You know, things happen, right? Interruptions happen in the workplace. They happen in, in podcast episodes as well. No need to crop that out. <laughs> that's just life, right? I mean, it you've is. got Alexa talking to you. You've got yeah. Siri asking exactly. you what you need. You know, it's great. You're so well supported at home, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's something to be grateful for. <laughs> These interruptions are moments of gratitude. Yep, exactly. Um, anyway, so I, I had the opportunity to join Jostle. They were looking for someone in a, in a marketing capacity. And um, because of the nature of the product that they were building, I was really um, fascinated to join them as an employee and help them uh, build out their product from, an, from a, an informed perspective of, you know, what does it actually look like in workplaces today? What do people actually need to feel that they can do their best work, that they can feel psychologically safe at work, um, that teams can form and reform? And what do the communication avenues look like across people within an organization? So, um, so there was a really nice overlap with my professional interest of seeing how people actually thrive in the workplace mm-hmm. with um, the world of technology, which was um, something that I... I when I made the change from my one job to the next, I really wanted to move into an industry that was quite fast moving and dynamic and that would give me a bit more flexibility and and the ability to uh, be in a, a bit more of a fast paced industry than some of the more traditional industries like the construction industry that I was in previously. So, so that worked out pretty well. I've been at Jostle for uh, five years and uh, have uh, helped them grow the platform, but also have helped our customers to, you know, understand how to engage their employees using technology, um, looking at different ways of um, understanding how culture can grow in an online format, um, and what, you know, the importance of, of the voice of leaders through a piece of technology like an employee intranet. So, um, so that's really where I find myself. Um, my day-to-day work um, involves really just researching, understanding, um, talking to people and dabbling in, you know, the, the new things that are happening in, in the workspace arena in terms of what is this experience that we all now yeah. expect of our, our workplace, right? And the people who are in that workplace with us. So, so that's what my, my day-to-day job involves. And um, it, it really is that intersection of of marketing and human resources, um, you know, understanding the operations of the business is is a part of it as well. So I count myself very fortunate that I've had these opportunities to grow um, both personally and help a company grow as I myself have grown in my career. That's awesome. I love to listen to people's stories because you can never, you never know what experiences and what history they had until you actually talk to them, ask them questions, right? There's something you said in the beginning. You said that you value being of service, you know, ser- being in service for other people. And, you know, I hear this all the time, you know, as you know, I help people in their careers, their career paths, their vocational confidence, and sometimes careers can mean business, right? And, and I hear this often. They say, I, d- I don't know what I want to do, but I just want to be of service to someone. And it's a very fundamental human need because it's a meaningful contribution to want to help and support and serve, right? And you mentioned it. And so service is very commonly associated with the hospitality sector because that's like serving, right? But I would say that right now you are very much in service to other people. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on what does it mean to you personally to be of service? 
you know, and how, and how, how is, how are you, how are you meeting that value right now? Uh, the high value you have on service? Like, what does it mean to you? Yeah, and I think that has, has probably evolved as I've matured and grown as a person. But I think in essence, it's it's helping other people achieve their goals. I, I find that incredibly rewarding. And I find it fascinating to see individuals and teams move through the process of going from starting something to achieving what they set out to do. So I think, and you can scale that, right? Like that, that can be whether it's um, one person or whether it's a whole organization that's, that's growing and, and, and thriving. Um, so for me, it's, it's really about being there as a resource to people. And if I can share what I've gained or mistakes I've made or places where I've fallen down and I can help someone else learn from that in a, um, not in an egotistical way, as in, oh, I've got all the answers because I've been through that and I'm so tough and I've, you know, I've lived that, but more about in a, hey, you know, this is just part of life and there are experiences that are good and bad. And, you know, I've been through things in my life that maybe you can identify with and maybe I can help you get through to the other end in, um, in a positive and healthy way that um, gives me a sense, a great sense of satisfaction and, and to see another person um, come through that and whether it's something trivial like just seeing a light bulb moment or mm. actually seeing someone achieve some degree of emotional wellness because of a contribution that I've made to them is is very very rewarding to me yeah that's amazing and I and I agree with you it is about being on the same side of the table as them and supporting them and helping them the way that they know they want to be helped Right. And, and I love that. I love your analogy there. And, and it's interesting because now you're working at the intersection of marketing and HR, whereas it's not, it's not very easy to see the connection between the two. Right. So help us here. Help us out. Help my listeners, help my viewers to connect the dots. What do you see as the connection between marketing and HR? Mm-hmm. So I think in order to answer that, we should start with a definition of what each of those two operating Good areas idea. is within a business. And I think that that both have changed over time and, and particularly in the last four to five years, things have quickly changed in both of those areas. Mm. And I, I guess I can speak for every marketer and I can speak for every part of the marketing realm, but I can certainly say that from what I've been exposed to in the past few years, specifically with marketing, that marketing has has in and of itself become... Um, of service to others. So when we write our messaging at Jostle and when we are thinking about how we um, attract people who may be, become potential customers, we're thinking about how can we best serve them um, by helping them understand that what we can sell them can actually help um, settle a need that they have or can help take away a pain point that they're experiencing. Um, serving the information to them in a way that's their choice, not ours, um, which I think is quite a change from how marketing used to work, where you basically would just, you know, force your messaging down on, you know, a wide group and you'd hope some of it would stick. Um, now it's far more tailored, it's personal, there's humanness to it. So, and, and again, I, I think it does depend on the industry you're in and I think it does depend on the product that you're selling. And uh, I mean, I'm in a B2B environment and we're a, uh, you know, a software as a service business. So obviously our messaging is going to be quite different to Nike who's selling a pair of running shoes, right? Um, but I, I do think the nature of marketing and the the humanness of it has changed over time, which helps it be more um, in service 
of its audience rather than um, you know a bit of a, a bit of tension between the audience and the, the marketer right okay. um, in terms of HR I think HR is also moved from being a you know a, a transactional part of the business mm. to being um, far more in service of the needs and the expectations of the people who work in a, a company or an organization and those people have a desire to have a certain experience um, they have distinct needs from one another. Um, so I think human resources has had to, um, you know, really change the way that they approach people at work. And that's why you, you started to th- see things like head of people and, and culture or VP of people or, you know, these different roles in human resources that really are bringing the people side of it into it. So, um, so those two things, those, those changes that have happened over time, actually have helped the intersection of, of marketing and HR. Um, I think the other thing that is that has helped is the skills that you need to be a good marketer and the skills that you need to be a good human resources practitioner or a good people person um, are actually complementary. So mm-hmm. listening skills, um, clear communication skills, um, embracing others is a really important one. So having a growth mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are just a few examples of the, the people who could thrive in both of those areas actually have some interesting overlaps in their personalities and their, their character traits, right? So there is, at first, they don't seem like they should um, play well together, but they actually are a really powerful pairing when you get it right. And I had that experience at, at my previous company um, when I deployed Jostle at, um, at Omicron, which is the name of the company. They're a, a a, a construction company here in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. And I was fortunate enough with the, the branding project that I worked on, it was actually a joint HR um, marketing project. And I had the opportunity to work with the VP of HR on that project as my my partner. Oh. And we were a formidable team. Like we brought such amazing strengths from both of our worlds into this new zone that was a complete um, creation of, of you know, m- the best of marketing and the best of HR came together. And it was a really um, successful project and continues to to be rooted in their culture today, even though both of us are no longer there. Um, so that's a lot to be proud of. So, you know, if you can find ways to get that complementary overlap, it, I mean, maybe it's not marketing and HR, but if, if you can look for other ways in your business where you can find that synergy, um, amazing things can happen. That's amazing. I love it. I love it. So uh, was this something that you carved out for yourself, the intersection between marketing or HR, or was it something, a gap that you identified that you had to build some processes and, you know, kind of like a a shared language around, like, how did, how did it happen? How did it open up for you in your path? Yeah. So I, my um, academic background is I I have an, an undergrad in um, psychology and communications and an area of interest within that degree in organizational behavior. So I had sort of had come at this from the human side of things right from the very outset of my, my studies. And as I moved through my career, I realized I, I needed to have the quantitative side of my um, experience and my background rounded out with um, something that was less on the humanity side and more on the business side. So I went back to school. I did an executive MBA at SFU. Uh, which is Simon Fraser University here in, in Vancouver, for those in your audience who are not here <laughs> in Vancouver. 
Um, and during that program, I reinforced my love and interest of um, because we did do some modules that were more um, human resources oriented in that program. But we also looked at the business aspects of things like the, the finance and the economics and the strategy of business and those types of topics, mm-hmm. um, which let me more broadly build out this uh, sort of desire that I had to mm-hmm. uh, find a way to use my background as a marketer and as someone who's interested in brand and communications um, to actually have a meaningful impact on the inside of the business first. And that necessarily meant that I needed to uh, turn away from focusing outwardly as much on, on, you know, from a marketing point of view and really understanding the inside of a business first. And so, so that's really where it took hold. Um, so it was, it was an amalgamation of, you know, years of experience and opportunity, but also my academic background really supported me and helped me to define exactly what it is that I, I want to pursue. And then it was really, um, you know, through that, that project that I mentioned um, around the brand side of things where I really locked it in, in terms of seeing the power of actually bringing different parts of the business together and how, um, you know, those, those functions are not unrelated whatsoever. Um, because every single part of a business is connected to the the cultural underpinnings and the brand of your business. So it doesn't matter where you find yourself in an organization, at least this is my viewpoint, um, you are part of an, an extension of the brand. You may show up in a different way, but you are the brand. So that was that realization for me was really fascinating because it started to let me think about what's the possibility and the opportunity for me to leverage the knowledge and the strengths of of professionals within other parts of the business to actually help me strengthen a brand. Yeah. Um, and I've been able to do that, continue that work at Jostle um, as I've, I've carried on in my career over the last five years there. That's awesome. And, you know, we talked about this in terms of your, your role at Jostle and it was like um, the science of, uh, what was it? Um, what was the term that you used? Um, so my title is uh, Principle of Workplace Science. That's it. Principal of Workplace Science. But really, <laughs> right, your, your overarching goal is to really to create engaging environments, right, for, for people at work. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. I'd love to open up a conversation with you on how feasible is that? How possible is that? You know, we, we hear uh, um, ample stories out there where people are miserable in corporations, where companies are imperfect. They're just focused on increasing their bottom line. You know, they can say this is like um, the best place to work. They can say that, yeah, we want to create opportunities for people to grow. But then the experience often turns out to be disappointing or, or different from what it sounded like it was going to be like. So what's your, what's your gauge on that? What's, if you were to take a temperature, how possible is it to, to engage, to create engaging environments at work in corporations? How possible is it? And, and if so, what's needed to do that? So I, I do think it is, it is possible. Uh, I think we all have heard of and, and maybe have even been at the receiving end of, um, you know, a very, disengaged workforce or being part of a a very um, disengaged work environment. But I think the key thing for me is that engagement is an outcome. So I think if you start with the premise by saying, I want my workforce to be, you know, to score very highly on the engagement survey every year, 
um, I think you're starting with the wrong at the wrong end of it. I, I think what you really need to be thinking about is um, you know, what's the experience that you want people to have in your workplace. Lay down some some foundation and principles and build your culture around that, and engagement will follow. Like you shouldn't start off with thinking I'm going to create an engaging workplace. Like you, it's that's not what it's about. Like if you ask the average person why do they go to work, they're not going to say I go to work to be engaged. Uh, they're going to say something. I go to work because I I feel like the work I'm doing is is it fills me with purpose or. I go to work because I can help others or I go to work because I can learn something new every day or I go to work because I get a paycheck. Like, let's face it, people sometimes just go to work because, well, maybe not sometimes, probably more often than not, <laughs> you know, people go to work just because that's how they earn a living. So, um, you know, I, I think the engagement realm has been like it's it's had its moment um you know i i think we've thrown a lot of money and time at trying to push up those engagement scores but i think we've been investing in the wrong thing and i think what you really have to look at is like what sits at, at the root of engagement is a body of people or a group of people who are individual people and they have individual needs and and desires and things that they want to achieve in their yeah. careers and so even if you can understand just one or two things about every single person and what drives them um, in your business, you're going to get much closer to creating an engaged workforce if you can try and satisfy those one or two things than you would if you broadly try and layer on you know, engagement programs and perks and things that you think are, are entertaining or engaging your people when they're probably having the opposite effect in the long run. And I know that's easy to say with a small company. Yeah. Um, as you scale a business, and you, when you get into a, you know a large multinational business, that becomes harder to do. But it still comes down to the people. If you've got a very big organization, you've got to build a structure that still allows you to have the the humanness present within your organization. Yes, and that just means you're going to have to spend more time on training managers and leaders to be able to be present for the people who are directly underneath them. So I think we've got a, a fair amount of re-engineering to do in our thinking about engagement. And that's probably why there has been a bit of a shift, I, I, I believe, in terms of thinking about this more around experience than engagement. Um, because if we think about the experience that people have at work every day, um, that's far easier to, to quantify whether that was a negative or a positive thing um, versus whether someone feels engaged or not, which is a, a bit of a nebulous thing to try and measure, right? That's right. Yeah. I, I, a, lot of these, a lot of these conversations usually come from the standpoint of the employer or the leaders of the organization of what they need, what they can change or what, what, what actions they can take. But, you know, most of us who are listening to this conversation right now, we're the, we're on the other side. We are the employees, you know, we're going to these workplaces and we are feeling disengaged or we are feeling not seen, not heard, right? That's a really common theme. So what can we do as employees? If anything, what can we do? What can we change? Uh, what can we influence to help craft an engaging environment for ourselves and for our peers? Yeah, I think 
we first need to look at at the locus of control, right? So as individuals, we each have control over our own decisions. We have control over our reactions to things. We have control over the decisions that we make to be part of something or not. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's easy to, to complain about the toxic workplace culture that you find your place, yourself part of or the manager who never listens to you or um, you know the work that you really don't like doing. That's very easy to do. What's harder to do is actually to make a decision to change uh, your career path or change employers or find a new job. Like that's far more challenging, right? It's easy to do the complaining. But I think ultimately, um, if you're not in an environment where you feel that you can learn and grow and that you feel like you are actually contributing to something that's meaningful and purposeful, then as far as possible, you've got to try and make that change. And you're you're the only person that can make that change. Now, you could make a, a change and, and make a decision to be positive in the environment in which you find yourself. And ultimately, every employee is responsible for building a culture, right? Every person that shows up every day has a role to play in making that a great experience for their peers, uh, for the people that report to them, and for the customers that we serve in our businesses, right? So I think the in, coming back to the individual, it's the individual has a lot of power in terms of the, the, the texture um, of the experience that they have um, and the experience that they have in their workplace. They, they're not passive um, you know, yeah. uh, spectators of their careers, first of all. Um, which I know that's that's also very um, that's idealistic to some degree because I know that there's all sorts of life stuff that makes that that you know harder if you have a number of dependents and you can't make a change because you need a stable income but you're very unhappy. Well, you probably will find yourself staying in that that bad job because you have to be there, right? So. Um, I realize that there are, are all sorts of life circumstances that make it difficult for people to to have the luxury of of changing their mind or moving on. But I think it does come back to individuals um, acknowledging that they ha- actually have a lot of power to change how they feel about something and how they respond to something. Yes, yes, awesome. How about, how about technology? How is technology um, involved? in terms of increasing engagement and improving the, this work environment? How, how is it involved um, from what you've seen and from what you're working on? Yeah, so in our environment, we're building a, an employee um, communication and engagement platform, um, which is an intranet. That's traditionally what it's known as. Um, and so I, I'm probably coming at this with a bit of a biased perspective, but we obviously think that technology can play a big part in the the experience that people have day to day at work. Mm-hmm. And by using technology as an interface or an enabler for things like having conversations or being able to participate in a culture, especially if you're a remote worker and you, you know, in this um, time that we're in now, a lot of us are remote workers suddenly. Mm-hmm. Um, you now have a way to actually stay plugged in and communicate and contribute and um, let your personality shine through by, you know, some of the silly things that people share on our platform, like, you know, memes or GIFs or, um, you know, things that are are just fun and, and, and allow people to express themselves, right? So I think technology does enable that. Yeah. Um, I think it, it 
it's not the the solution though. It's it's just the vehicle to allow that to happen. You still need to have people participating and have the willingness to give of themselves to the conversation and to the community and to the culture. So the technology can be there, um, but that doesn't mean that you're going to have a highly engaged workforce. You as leaders and and depending on your culture and your structure in your organization, Mm -hmm. if you deploy something like an intranet, you've still got to work at making it um, something meaningful for people. And they've got to see the value proposition in finding themselves there and then engaging with it, right? They've got to get value out of it. Um, Otherwise, it's sort of like, well, why should I care? It's just more noise. Why would I go there? So I think it's it's easy for people to sort of check the box. Okay, yep, we've got the internet or we've got Slack or we've got whatever the, you know, we've, we've, we've got Zoom to get people connected and then you sort of close it off and you just assume that the engagement is happening. I think that's a mistake. I think the use of technology needs to be part of your overall strategy around what sort of experience you want to create for people in your workplace. Right, right. So let's go, let's talk about brand. You know, you talked about, you know, brand management, you know, brand design. What role does that play in the, in holding the responsibility for having engaging environments for, you know, for having that in the integrity around that? What, what brand does, what, what role does the brand play in it? Yes, I suppose it's a bit of a chicken and egg situation. So what comes first, brand or culture, right? So I think you could debate that from both sides. But I think ultimately your brand is an extension of of how your culture is manifested and that happens through your people. So I think brand is incredibly important and it's it's not only an, an external vehicle. Like there, there really isn't a, a distinction between the inside and the outside of your brand. A brand is one thing and it's it's the impression that people have of you, whether they work for you or whether they're a customer or whether they're a potential customer or a, a shareholder. So in, in terms of its 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 role, it's incredibly important. You have to you have to nurture the brand, you have to be clear about what your brand is. Um, and the the culture of your business really drives your brand to you know to a great degree. And um, you've got to be tending to both, I, I think, because they I don't think you can prize those two pieces apart. They they are necessarily connected to each other quite firmly so um, by tending to one you are necessarily impacting the other and it's an ongoing process like I don't think you you decide one day okay I'm just redesigning the logo and that's it because that's not brand and that's not culture Um, if you really are thinking about your brand and your culture you are thinking about that all the time and it's not something that's ever done I don't believe yeah, absolutely. So I think one thing that is really important when we're working as part of a team, you know, inside of an organization and the organization has a purpose and each person inside of that organization has their own individual purposes as well, right? So those two purposes must align towards a common end state, a common goal or and have common interests as well. And what we're really trying to do effectively as a team is to coordinate action among 
between one another, right? And one important way to do that is that we have to use the same, a common language and to have a shared background of experience in language because language is the tool, right. that we, yeah. the tool we use to coordinate action, right? And so I, w- I want to take it back because we have been talking a lot about terms like brand and culture, you know, and teams and, and a marketing, right? And, and I guess what I, what I think is important is to have that shared background and a common language. So, I, I mean, so Bev, from your perspective, you know, from your point of view, how would you define brand and how would you define culture? What are the distinctions between the two? Mm-hmm. So I think both of them have got an experiential component to them. Yeah. So both of them might be something that when someone comes into contact with you, they get a sense of who you are by being exposed to your brand and by being exposed to your culture. Um, I think brand is more commonly something that is potentially, it's it's written down and described in a certain way. So, and it, it potentially will include a bit of a structure around um, a positioning, um, which gives you, you know, which is grounded in uh, what your purpose is as an organization. And then commonly you'll have some values that will, um, support that purpose and help you to live out the brand. Yeah. Um, the culture piece, I I believe, in in my understanding of it and in my experience of it, um, really is in how the brand is lived. So it's how people show up every day. It's the character of of um, the experience that people have with you. Um, it's sort of the the personality, if you will, coming to life um, of your brand. So. Um, so at Jossel, for example, we just recently went through a, a, a repositioning process of where we actually want to look at how are we actually articulating our brand? Mm-hmm. And then what does that mean for how we're continuing to nurture our culture? So so I think the two, as I said earlier, they're, they're necessarily interconnected, but I think that they're, and while they do have some commonalities, they do have some discrete things too that are are unique to to both of them. And um, I think you have to think about both in order to have both of them be working for you and not against you. Yeah. I think if you only work on one, um, you can't assume that the other one will necessarily be there in the way that you want it to be there. So. Um, I, I think culture is there whether you think it's there or not. Um, I don't necessarily think the same of brand. Mm-hmm. I see. Okay. So what do you do if, let's say, for example, I am a job seeker or I am a career transitioner and I want to transition to a different company, I want to make a change or I want to find a position in a new city, right? And it involves me joining a new company I know nothing about. And I don't, I can't see the inside of that company. How would you advise a person like that to choose the, a company with that brand and a culture and the engaging in, environment? How do we know? First of all, like, how do you know if that is a, a choice that, that, that is, a, that is a, 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 could be a potentially right choice when sometimes on the outside, you can't see what's happening on the inside. So what do you do? And the second part is, how do you, what are some things that we can look out for if you're someone on the outside? Mm-hmm. 
So notwithstanding some of the resources out there like Glassdoor and LinkedIn and some of the mm-hmm. other ways that you can get an, a sort of a, a sense of what it might be like to work at a company, um, I would reach out to folks who actually work there, who are not potentially part of the interviewing group that you might meet during the interview process. Because oftentimes, like an employer brand, the interview process is heavily curated, right? It's it's controlled. It's um, it's There's a power imbalance in terms of what the company knows versus what the employee potential employee doesn't know. Mm-hmm. So I, I think the best way is to use things like LinkedIn, which is a phenomenal networking tool, uh, to get connected with people who actually work there. And you can do that by getting recommended or connected through others who are connected into the company. And just ask people who, who are there, who are working there on a day-to-day basis to give you the inside scoop on you know, what's it like to work there? What do you love most about the company? Why do you stay there? Would you recommend a friend to work there? Like, that's a great question. Um, if you don't want to recommend your friend to work at the company you work for, that's a problem, right? Yes. So I think that that's probably the, the first way that um, I would try and gather information because even things like Glassdoor, I mean, you can read reviews from uh, current or past employees. Um, but there's always the opportunity there for those things to be curated as well by companies so that they put their best foot forward, right? So um, I think just looking for those ways that are, um, you know, the, the less obvious things, like how does this company show up in the community? You know, what are they doing in terms of community outreach? Do they get involved with the community? What are they known for? Can you ask someone randomly? Um, what do you think of company X? Do you even know who they are, right? And you might be surprised. There's There are a number of ways that you can actually get a sense of the um, what the degree of, of um, satisfaction people have with dealing with that company um, other than what you're hearing from the company directly. That's right. That's right. That's, that's, that's amazing advice and it's great tips, right? So Bev, what's, what's the most difficult thing? What is the greatest challenge that you have in doing what you set out to do in elevating workplaces? You know, for you, what's the hardest thing about that? Well, I think it's the hardest as well as the most rewarding part, and that is humans, right? Human beings <laughs> are challenging, right? Uh, you know, it's it's very hard to bring a group of people along with you and and get people aligned and and get people excited around the same thing. So I think I find that to be incredibly rewarding when you can bring a group of people along with you and you can see, as I mentioned in the beginning of the conversation, see the success that people feel when you go on this journey with them. But it's also incredibly, it it can be infuriating and it can be, you know, really, really tough to, to work with people who, uh, you know, we don't articulate things the same way. We're not, Mm-hmm. passionate about the same things we don't have the same outcomes in mind uh, and to be honest we're not taught very well as young children how to use logical thinking and mm-hmm. conversational skills um, as we grow into adults and I, I think that um, you know the root of most conflict and, and disagreement is is probably just misunderstanding or or the two parties being at odds with one another because they haven't communicated clearly. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, so I think to sum that up, it's I, I think 
it's people. They're, you know, they're, they're wonderful to work with and they're wonderful to, to strive to do good things for. But I think people are, are, are challenging. Um, you know, that's, it, it's a very hard medium to work with. <laughs> <laughs> so from your experience, what would you say is the most important thing that we need to do between employers and employees, you know, the business owners themselves and the people that work for them to be able to elevate these workplaces, to be able to make it, to have that, a, a shared interest. Like what, what is the most important thing for on both sides for them to do? I think it's remembering that at the core of anything that we try and do with one another as individuals or groups, we are just humans at the, at the base of it. And so if we can bring more kindness and trying to be empathetic and trying to understand where the other person is coming from more often, I think that we'd get further along the path. And, you know, I I think that fortunately, and and I've I've always been lucky to to work for, um, you know, leaders in particular and and in workplaces where I've had lots of opportunity and I've I've always felt respected and felt um, that, I've had an environment where I can continue to grow individually, but also contribute to something that is is meaningful and that is helping people be successful. So, um, but I just think that kindness is underrated and <laughs> we really should, and, and all of us are capable of doing it. You know, there's, um, you know, I, I think it was, was Gandhi that said that if you can choose to be anything, choose yeah. to be kind, right? That's so true. Like that's, everyone has the capacity for kindness and it has such amazing ripple effects. It's, you know, it, it disarms conflict. It helps understanding. It brings people closer together. Um, It helps unite us behind a common purpose. So it just seems to me such a, such a, an easy and, and um, rewarding thing to do. And it, it takes nothing. Yeah. It maybe takes putting your ego aside or, or putting your preconceived notions aside or um, not being absorbed in your own needs. Um, but we all have the capacity for kindness. You don't have to be taught how to be kind, right? So it's like a superpower that we could all access, but we don't. It's Occam's razor, isn't it? Yeah, it is truly Occam's razor. Kindness is Occam's razor in this case. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I'd like I'd love to hear your thoughts on what you feel this means the overarching thing around the relationship between the employee and employer, the relationship between marketing and HR. You know, all the opportunities that we just touched upon, the tip of the iceberg, all the opportunities for improving this environment to to elevate the workplace. All of this. What does it what does this mean for personal growth? Like, what does it mean for personal growth? Are there opportunities there? Is there an adaptation that we need to be mindful of? Like, what is it? Is it, is it changing personal growth? Is it going to be different from the way we knew things? Because now uh, with the increased connectedness, like what, what's mm-hmm. it doing? What are you seeing happening? The impact on personal growth? Well, I think what I, I am seeing is that those who have a growth mindset and who are prepared to blur the lines are going to be more successful and be able to progress probably more quickly. 
um, you know, and obviously depending on the industry or the environment that you find yourself. But, you know, certainly in the, the tech space, I think the more uh, adaptable and resilient you can be and be able to uh, skip over silos and be able to find yourself comfortable in different areas of a business, the more value you're going to be able to offer to that organization. And you don't need a business degree to do that. Um, all you need is curiosity and willingness to learn and ask questions and throw yourself onto a project team that may have nothing to do with your day-to-day -day work, but that gives you exposure to how other people are thinking about a problem, um, gives you exposure to new learning, um, gives you different problem-solving skills. Um, so find those opportunities. They are there in every single organization. And if you can equip yourself with um, some of the unexpected skills um, in your particular area of business, yeah. you will find that you'll be able to expand yourself into all sorts of interesting projects and teams and um, really elevate yourself within an organization without needing to see necessarily growth within a change in title or, um, you know, climbing up the ladder. Like I, I think that that is changing too, right? It's, yeah. it's about individual depth of growth. Um, and the value that you can add to a business that's becoming really important. Yeah, yeah. Very well said. You know, very well said. And and I, I just want to bring you back briefly to what we started to talk about before we launched the episode. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. This was we, we we were talking about what happens when uh, um organizations are about to put a message out there. What responsibility do they have as a brand? I'd love for you to continue that vein, right? So, you know, what? Let, let, let's go back to that conversation. And I was like, and I remember I, I was telling you, that's what I want to talk about. <laughs> we were talking about a lot. We were talking about conspiracy theories. We were talking about yep. veganism and challenges. <laughs> That's so I, you know, that this has just been, you know, the, the best hour of my day so far. <laughs> but I think, I think what you were, what, what we were starting to get into was just around, um, you know, the responsibility that we have as leaders in yeah. terms of transparency yes. and openness and how we have a responsibility to shape society in different ways. Yes. And yeah. how, you know, particularly now as we're moving through this terrible situation in the world and that has absolutely, you know, devastated lives and the economy and the healthcare system, um, you know, we have this opportunity to decide what the future looks like for us, I believe, more so than we've ever had before. And now is the time for leaders to stand up and really think about how they want to move forward with leading themselves and leading their businesses um, into this new world that um, I believe is in the short term is going to be very, very painful. But I think that there is so much opportunity for us to create um, this new society that is of our choosing, that isn't something that was dictated to us by um you know, ways of being that came about through the industrial age, yeah. right? I, I, I think we are at this, this very special and rare time where 
we have a choice and we have to be aware that that choice is going to be taken away from us by, um, you know, corporations and politicians and um, entities that have a vested interest in us going back to normal, right? Um, and now I'm starting to sound like a bit of a conspiracy theorist myself, but um, <laughs> I, I just think it would be uh, very, very unfortunate if we didn't at least take a pause as people and leaders um, to ask ourselves, what do we want the next step to look like? And we have that power. And as I had alluded to earlier about individuals have the power to choose how they respond to things. They have the choose, they have, they have the power to choose whether they stay or leave a, a job or an employer. Mm-hmm. Um, we collectively as a society, we have a choice now mm-hmm. and we have to make that choice quite quickly. So I think by having conversations like this, it's awakening things in people that maybe were not awake before. Yes. And, you know, my hope certainly is that we don't, um, miss this opportunity and mm-hmm. don't really appreciate its full value. And and notwithstanding, of course, I realize that there is much sadness and hardship and people are struggling uh, for all sorts of different reasons. So I don't mean to make light of that, but I, I do mean to um, point us in a direction that helps us uh, take something positive from this if there is something positive to be had, because it's a tremendous cost for us globally to pay. and if all we walk away from this with is, um, you know, a death toll and, um, you know, this drive to go back to normal, I, I just think we've lost something. I, I think we've, we, we really would have missed an opportunity there. Yeah, absolutely. Because they are, there's, a, there's a, the Chinese word for crisis. There's two characters in it, right? The first one is danger. The first character means danger. But the second word actually means opportunity. Mm. Right. And so in every crisis, there is danger. Right. But there is opportunity. But we can only see the opportunity if we've done the work to prepare ourselves to see it. Because every experience we have in our life, every experience we could possibly have in life must go through our senses in our through our body. So we have to prepare ourselves to see the opportunity and then we can take advantage of it. Only then do we deserve to take advantage of it. Yes. Right. Yeah. I really love that. I I didn't know that. Um, So thank you for sharing that. That's I like that uh, sort of paradox almost in, in one phrase, right? Well, that's the thing. We think of it as a paradox, but it's actually the dualism that exists everywhere in the universe, right? You can't have challenge without support. You can't have happiness without sadness. They are present in every single situation at the same time. And yeah. so crisis, opportunity and danger exists at the same time, right? And so I love to know, Bev, you know, I, I really love talking to you. You know, we only got to know each other recently, but I think that this is a beginning of a beautiful friendship. Love to keep in touch with you, but I'm curious. I hope so too. Yeah. Right now, as we are recording this, it is April, 2020, and we are in a recession, right? Globally, we are in a recession. And so I would love to know, Bev, what are you looking forward to? What are you optimistic about in the future of work? Because after this, you know, things are never going to be the same. They don't, they don't just go back to normal, right? There's no normal. There's, the, there's a new normal, right? So I'd love to know, Bab, what are you optimistic about? What are you looking forward to when you look at the future of work? Well, I think what this experience has taught us is that we're actually quite capable of adapting to change quite quickly. And 
we've seen this in you know a number of different industries and um, it's particularly in the tech industry and you know I can obviously only speak for my own business environment at this point but what I've seen is just people stepping up to be leaders who were quietly um, working away before um, being able to get projects done more quickly because we've had to be able to respond to things and create things for customers quite quickly Mm-hmm. Um, being proud of our team for being able to adjust to this new normal. And um, so my, you know, what I hope for uh, the future is that we take what we've learned and, uh, you know, take these successes that we've had and actually find ways to make them part of the new fabric of how we work together. And I, I do think that many companies will not be able to revert back to the way things were. I mean, the, the, the genie is out of the bottle now, right? You're not going back to the way that things used to be, especially if your teams have been able to stay productive and you've been able to service your customers and you've been able to keep your business running um, perhaps better in some respects than you were before. Um, you know, you've gained time back because you've had to be more efficient in some ways. Um, you've stopped doing some things that you used to do in person because you'd always done them that way and now you do it differently. So you've you've become more effective in how you actually do your work. Um, We're more intentional about conversations and communication with people. There's more communication than ever before. So I think we've gained a tremendous amount in a very, very short space of time. And it's now up to us to codify those things and and take them with us in a way that actually helps us to grow and become even stronger through this than we might have been before. So, um, and then how do you scale that through, through, Mm-hmm. communities right how do you scale that through industries how do you scale that globally um i'm not sure how that's going to play out but i think that there's an enough awareness now around you know things that people are actually enjoying i mean i know everyone's locked in their homes and you know we we go out a, you know a couple times a day to walk the dog or whatever um but there's an upside to this time that we're spending um focused and working at home and um we're freeing up time. Um, you know, we're taking cars off the road. So, you know, the pollution is clearing up. You see these news reports about, you know, being able to see Mount Everest for the first time ever, um, or, um, you know, the sky clearing up in parts of Asia that you kn- they've never seen blue sky in those parts of the world. Um, you know, even just in Vancouver, I don't know if you've noticed, but there isn't that layer of gray smog over the city that there used to be. So, um, so there's, there's all sorts of things that, are positive, but obviously they come at a cost. And what we're going to have to do is the great accounting of whether we can afford to keep those things that we've we've now gained, um, or whether the cost is too great to bear um, as a society to keep those things going forward. So I think there's some interesting things that'll play out for for work and for businesses, but I think people who are leading businesses would be foolish to think that it could ever be like it was, and they shouldn't want it to be like it was. Yeah, absolutely. So what's next for you, Bev? What's next for you moving forward? What's your next project, your next next uh, goal? Yeah, what's next for you? Well, I'm, I love what I do. I, I love uh, the flexibility that I have in my job. Um, I'm the host of a, a podcast with Dustin that you mentioned at the beginning of the show. So I host the People at Work podcast. And that gives me the, an amazing opportunity to have conversations like this. So I'm not often on the other side of the microphone. So um, this is a, a, a rare treat for me. So thank you. Um, but I think just for me right now is looking for 
uh, ways that I can meaningfully con contribute through the next, uh, you know, one to three months here as not only our company adapts to this, but how do I help our customers, uh, you know, in, in whatever way they need help with to help their people feel like they belong, uh, to make them feel supported, and to help people feel like there is there's hope that uh, there's a lot of positivity to this as well as, as the obvious negative. Um, so that's for me is just to continue uh, along this path. I'm learning every day. Uh, I have, you know, an amazing team that I work with. And I think it's just continuing to have access to things that really challenge me in my way of thinking. And um, that's what I love about the podcast mostly is, people are smart, much smarter than me. So I get to learn, um, you know, every day from someone that I talk to. So it's, it's a, it's a real unique treat and um, I'm very grateful for my job and I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity that I have uh, to have conversations like this. And I think we just have to find a way to make these conversations have actions associated with them. Correct. Oh, that, I love that, that's part of what I'm thinking about is, it's all fair and well to have the conversations, but what's next in terms of how we act um, in unity as we move forward here? Oh, totally. Because I mean, we're not in the business of just getting more information, right? Information is everywhere. We're overwhelmed with it. It's like, okay, what do you do with that information? How do you turn that information to useful knowledge, wisdom, and something actionable? Right. So I, I love that you said that. I love it. So Bev, where can people find you? You know, let's say that, you know, listeners listening, they're like, I, I love what she said. How do I get a hold of Bev? How could I, what if I want to talk to her? So how can people find you? Where can they find you? So I'm very active on LinkedIn. So you can just search Bev Atfield and that's A-T-T-F-I-E-L-D on LinkedIn. You can also email me at Bev at Jostle, J-O-S-T-L-E dot M-E. And uh, that's probably the best way to grab me. I, you know, I'm, I'm very responsive. Um, I, I'm, you know, I love LinkedIn. I'm very um, active there. I contribute there. I listen there. Um, I try and add value there without adding noise. So if, and if there's anything I can do to help someone with a resource or connect you to someone that I might know, I'm more than happy to do that. And um, just even just have a conversation. So, um, and of course you can find me on the podcast. So wherever you get your podcasts, you can look for people at work. And uh, you can take a listen to a few of our shows. There's some, a real good variety of, of uh, guests, in, including Grace. So <laughs> go and check that out. That's, uh, it's, I know that some of us have some time on our hands right now. Yeah. So podcasts are a good way to fill that time and learn at the same time. <laughs> That's so true. And all of those links and the email address that you said, I'm going to put those in the show notes below. But yes, go ahead and check that out. People at Work Podcast with Jostle. And sometimes it's you talking to the guest. Sometimes it's your colleague, Justin. So I, right. I didn't chat with you at the time, but I'm so grateful that he introduced me to you. And here we are, right? This conversation would never have happened if I wasn't on your podcast. <laughs> so thank exactly. you so much. Once again, Bev, for being on Career Revisionist, and I look forward to continuing this conversation and adding value and contribution in these times.